everybody. Welcome into this uh, very, very special episode of Frederick Uncut. I am sitting here with Alan Etzler. My name is Colin McGuire. This is coming out on the very first day of the 2019th year in the history of the world. How are you, Alan? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. What did you do last night for New Year's Eve? Uh, We went to Brewer's Alley, got a burger, went home, went to sleep. This could all be a lie because we're not taping this on New Year's Day, so who knows what Alan... That's literally my plans for the night, though, so... Thanks for the invite. You're welcome. So we thought we would put a cap on 2018 by going back through the 10 uh, biggest stories in the Frederick News Post this year. Were these voted on by... um, readers no these were done by the editor last year we the uh last year we did them by reader vote this year we had the editors meet and go over the stories together by the editors do you mean the city editors and the (laughs) managing editor yeah well yeah because i'm the features editor and i was not in on this (laughs) you didn't you don't read the paper (laughs) okay that's true so we have (laughs) 10 Stories that we want to count down. You pick these. Uh, at the, the, it's kind of interesting to me that the readers had no say. So hopefully the readers will agree with these 10 stories. If they I don't, doubt it. I doubt it. If they don't, email us at gcullen at newspost.com. So uh, number 10. Number 10, we have uh, heroin numbers. There have been 41 fatal overdoses as of September 3rd, which was according to statistics provided by the Frederick, Frederick County Sheriff's Office. There were also nine, 194 non-fatal overdoses this year. That puts Frederick on track to top 2017 numbers. The first question that I would have for you, of course, is now that we are at the end of the year, did we top the 2017 numbers? Do we know? It looks like as of around... The end of November, um, Heather Mongilio, our health reporter, actually just wrote a story about this. Uh, we had the exact same amount of fatal overdoses with about a month in the year left. So it looks like unless December was a month of absolutely no fatal overdoses, um, we probably will top it. Yeah. Is there any sort of context for this? Do we know any why, why, why it was up this year? Um, I, I think it's just because the heroin and fentanyl and carfentanyl, they continue to get stronger and people continue to keep using them. And we continue to not have enough resources to really uh, fight it in this community. Do, you, do we have any insight on if that might change in the future? Yeah. So one of the big things that happened this year, and this is kind of a part of what we're, late, what we're looping in with the heroin numbers story, this particular story, is um, Sheriff Chuck Jenkins and County Executive Jan Gardner got together put forward a proposal for um, a detox center, which would be uh, located at the work release center in uh, Frederick. And um, the applications, so there's essentially a $710,000 grant that the county will give to um, a group or an organization that wants to provide these detox services. And um, then they put up the rest of the money and the money for the renovations of the center and things like that. Uh, And so, that is currently in the works. The uh, application deadline has passed. They received three applications uh, from different uh, treatment service companies, and we're kind of waiting now to see what happens with that. Hopefully sometime uh, in the next few months, uh, the first few months of the new year, uh, something might get moving on that. Would that come in 2019 if that if that happens? Well, I mean, I guess in theory they could drag it out, but I doubt they want to. Okay, so... That would be that would be a probably a good way to to sort of address this. If if that doesn't happen though, or is there any plan B or any other contingency thing? Uh, 
right now everyone is all in, it seems like, at the county uh, with getting a detox center. Um, whether or not that's at the work release uh, location, I, I, I mean, that, I guess that's still to be determined, even though it's all of the applicants want to, want to do the, uh, the services at that location. But if it, if it falls through, I think the, the plan B is still a work release or is still a detox center at a different location. Okay. So it's good to see that things are moving in a direction to be kind of proactive in, in battling this. Cause these, these numbers seem to rise as, as we said every year, including in 2018. Yep. So that's good to see. Now we want to move on to number nine. Uh, and it, it involves the Monocacy River Plan. Yeah. What do you think about the Monocacy River Plan, Alan? Oh, well, in the uh, newsroom is kind of a running joke that this this is the gift that keeps on giving for us. Uh, it's been over two years um, of work largely done by our environment reporter, Samantha Hogan. Um, it's essentially a battle between environmentalists and people who own uh, property on the river, what we should do with the Monocacy River. Uh, it's... Water quality has been low compared to other rivers uh, in the state, and they want to, you know, obviously you want cleaner water. Um, but some people don't want to be told what to do with their property, and so uh, that's where the battle has been going on. Um, it's going to drag out into uh, 2019. We thought for a minute there we might get uh, a resolution to the plan. The county council, there were some members who wanted to take it up. They were on their way out after the election, and... Um, Ultimately, uh, former council president Bud Otis chose not to bring it up and said it, it would go to the next council. So um, we're going to keep waiting. Why did he not bring it up? Um, I I don't think he saw it as the the right thing to do for this particular council, given that they were all on their way out. Or not all of them, but, but the ones who wanted to bring it up were all on their way out. I'm going to put you on the spot here, and if you can't answer it, we'll just edit it out. <laughs> Because it's called Frederick Cut. Um, sometimes Cut. Sometimes Cut. All the time Cut anymore. Uh, so when it comes to the, the differences that everybody has, what, what are some of the key issues here? Um, that is a question that would be better for Samantha Hogan. Yes. I, I, do, I do know that... Do you read uh, the paper? A lot, of, yeah, a lot of people uh, have issues with the riparian buffers. Um, that would be kind of putting, uh, it would essentially kind of cut down on property that they own, and that would have to be done by them, The basically cleaning the banks so that the water, the, you know, sediment doesn't go into the water and, and damage the water quality. Zero to 100 percent, does this get figured out in 2019? What do you think? Ooh, good question. Um, so, uh, I would I would put it at eighty percent. Ooh, eighty—that's a high number. Eighty percent that it gets figured out. Um, but I don't know. I've me personally I have a big issue with all of these plans because I, how many of them actually ever come to fruition? Um, but I I don't know how much teeth these this plan has. I don't know how much actual change comes from it because there's been a change in the dynamic of the river board. Uh, where there are more, are more property owners on it now, uh, so yeah, I, I I would say it probably gets resolved, but I don't know if it's if it's in the way a lot of people thought it would be at the beginning of this process. What does that mean? Do you think everybody will just be angry by the end of it? Nobody. Well, will everybody truly, everybody's angry now. Um, nobody will truly get what they want. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So this is all for nothing. <laughs> 
I think most of the plans are, yeah. <laughs> 2018, the year of irrelevant, hopeless, thankless plans. Remember that, everybody. Moving on to story eight. This is something that I've spent years talking about with our former political correspondent, our Annapolis reporter, Danielle E. Gaines, who is not with us anymore. Of course, this is gerrymandering in the 6th District. Uh, the boundaries for the 6th District, which includes parts of Frederick, were deemed by a federal court this year to be unfairly drawn to benefit the Democratic Party. Now, you and I talked a lot about this as well. Uh, we, we, Me and Emma did an episode on gerrymandering, if I remember correctly. I could not remember correctly. I think you I did. Think you had Walter Olson, yes. correct? Yeah. <laughs> Walter Olson, who is one of the best guests Frederick Uncut has ever seen. Uh, where are we going with this? Because I know that there's a lot up in the air. I did a, a lot of reading on this, especially in preparation, talking to Walter Olson. What's the latest now as 2019 is here? Yeah, so um, the... Uh the panel of judges that ruled it unfair that ruled the district lines unfairly drawn also ordered that they have to be redrawn before the 2020 election. Um, there was an option, uh, which Governor Hogan has taken action on, to appoint a commission to handle it, uh, an impartial commission. Um, so, so Governor Hogan, uh, Walter Olson is is co-chairing the commission. Yeah, and that news broke on the day our episode went. Yeah, out. which is cool. Um, and then there are, are eight other people on the commission. There are three Democrats, three Republicans, and three independents. So it, it is as not or as bipartisan as uh, I guess one can make it in today's political environment. Mm -hmm. um, and the the makeup of those appointees, which oh, I'm losing track of my days now because of uh, the holidays, but I want to say it was a week or two ago uh, when the appointees came down. They're large a lot of them several of them are from montgomery county uh there's a frederick county appointee on there and there's a howard county appointee on the commission um so now they are tasked with drawing the uh the new lines for the sixth district i don't know what that'll look like i don't know what what type of process that is mm -hmm. um but they have to do it before 2020 so god bless them <laughs> <laughs> what a great answer. I don't know. I don't know. So in 2019, you know, the, this has to happen before 2020, as you said. But 2019 kind of puts your back against the wall. Something has to move this year. This oh, yeah. Me, right? Yeah. Like we have to see something go in that direction. Do you, you said somebody from Frederick was appointed who? Uh, Deborah. Oh, I hope I get your your last name right. I, I believe it's pronounced Lundahl. Okay. And what, does she have uh, uh She served on the, the County Ethics Commission. Okay. So she's going to be the lone uh, Frederick representative. Along with Walter. Along with Walter. That's, that's true. Uh, Walter, who knows more than anything we've, anybody we've ever had on. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. He, he really, really is. We're going to keep an eye on gerrymandering. And I, you know what? I think that should have been higher on the list. That shouldn't be eight. Eight is a disrespectful number for gerrymandering. Gcolin at newspost.com. <laughs> and now we move on to number seven, which... According to this list here that I've read way more than I've wanted to today uh, <laughs> is the riot at the Victor Cullen Juvenile Detention Facility. This happened in April. It resulted in injuries to eight employees. Eight juveniles were involved. Three of them were indicted. One was actually sentenced to uh, five years in prison. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on this? Yeah. So um, the incident stems from. Uh, an altercation between two uh, juveniles at the facility uh, in which a uh, an employee intervened and um, 
the situation kind of diffused into a riot from there. Um, and the uh, the boy you mentioned uh, being sentenced to prison for five years, um, he was actually at the beginning kind of like a bystander to to the incident and, and became involved and started striking um, staff members. His name is Ali uh, Tarek or Tarek. He was 17 at the time, but um, he's now 18. He was charged as an adult for uh, first and second degree assault and uh, first degree escape from confinement. Um the the interesting thing about this incident that uh, just came up recently and, and is probably a reason that uh, it's it's in the top ten stories this year is there was a report an independent report investigation uh, released that found that uh, essentially staff uh, at Victor Cullen were just as uh, much responsible for uh, the riot as as the juveniles who were involved. Um, part of that report mentioned that. Uh, they didn't do enough to defuse the situation. They didn't get the kids, uh, the juveniles, out of the uh, sight line of what was happening. Um, the, the report also mentions they called uh, some of the kids' uh, names uh, in homophobic slurs, um, which only uh, riled things up and got them got them more aggressive uh, towards the staff. So if this report found that uh, the staff was partly to blame... What happens to the kid that's in jail now? Well, I, you know, I, I think um, it's it's important to note that that Ali Tariq took a, a plea deal first and foremost uh-huh. um, because he uh, took responsibility for he knew what he did was, was wrong. Um, his his sentence was fifty, actually fifty years in prison, with uh, all but five suspended. So he he actually, it sounds like, uh, got off fairly easy for for what he did but also he he wasn't initially involved in the conflict so he he got involved on his own volition and punched officers in the face who were already bleeding hit somebody with his handcuffs according to to what came out in in the in the court case um so i i don't suspect he would he would be getting out but uh, you know there is always i guess somebody could appeal do you think they'll appeal Probably not. Huh? Probably not, based because on you don't want to based press, on what he said in, yeah. in court about what he did. You want to push, push the buttons, push the envelope, you push the envelope. That's that's, that's what, what I was thinking. Like, of. That's the cliche. That's the go. cliche. And speaking of cliches, we're gonna keep this cliche list moving on to number six. And I think this this should have been up there because we can all relate to the flu. Up where? It's the sixth it's biggest the sixth, story That of the means year. there's five more that are bigger. And I can give you, I'm looking at the five. I don't know that they're bigger than this. All right. Flu deaths. The H3N2 strain of the flu made flu season particularly bad at the beginning of the year. Um, Colleen Morin, a popular bartender at Firestones, died in late January, uh, which... Uh, I know a little bit about. I was involved in a fundraiser uh, after her death and in, in sort of her honor and memory that happened in May. Um, so that was a pretty big shakeup downtown. It uh-huh. affected a lot of people. A lot of people knew her. A lot of people really liked her. This, uh, this was a shock, was it not? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, you know, as journalists, we try not to get... Uh, too in like too I guess emotionally connected to certain stories, but Firestones is kind of my bar. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I know I knew Colleen fairly well. Colleen knew me when I walked in. Um, so yeah, that this was uh, 
this particular death was was a shakeup. Um, but also it, the flu was particularly dangerous for children. We had deaths in Maryland for, you know, several, a couple of pediatric deaths. Um, there were 54 children killed by the flu nationwide. And it, it just was particularly shocking because you just don't hear of people dying from the flu anymore, yeah, you know? know? Um, and it, and it was odd to see it, you would, you would talk to doctors who, well, you know, they'll always recommend the flu shot. Mm-hmm. But many of them would flat out tell you that it, it wasn't particularly effective this year, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know that's a little scary. So so it was a shakeup this year. It was it was a lot more than just you know your typical flu season. Yeah, uh, which is why I think it should be higher than six. But that's not why that's not what we're here to, to discuss. We're here to discuss the stories, right, Alan? G. Colin at newspost.com. <laughs> Um, hospitals restricted visitors and the vaccine was largely ineffective, as you already said. Uh, this, we're heading into 2019. I know a lot of people in this holiday season who've gotten sick. I don't even think that's correct English, gotten sick, but who have fallen ill. Uh, do you, is there, is this okay now? Do we know of like going, um, moving forward? Yeah. So I, I think the, uh, the vaccination this year is a better match to the strain of the flu. I don't think this flu is particularly, um, I guess, damaging. That's not really the right word, but it, it, it's not as as uh, bad as it was um, last winter, early 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've heard of people getting sick also, but I, I don't think the sicknesses have been what they were. Okay. So no, no sort of uh, life-threatening sicknesses that we know. Not of. that I've heard of. Uh, gosh, I hope not. But um, you know, we still have a big portion of flu season to go too. That's very true. Twenty nineteen, look out! And they say it's supposed to be a bad winter. So, and winter. Yeah, just, I hope so. Okay. If by know. bad winter you mean a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah, a lot of snow. Even though it's rain, it's rained a lot. We're gonna get to that. We are gonna get to that. Uh, but number five, at the halfway point, number five is sponsored by. I've got nothing. Uh, <laughs> student walkouts. I, I remember this story vividly for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons. Students across the country, including several schools here at FCPS, participated in school walkouts to protest gun violence. This was all the way back in March, but this was a huge story. Perhaps this should have been higher than five. Again, G. Cullen at newspost.com. And at this point, I'm just making Alan angry, debating <laughs> where all these stories should be. Well, we're uh, we're going to, at the end of this, we're going to go through your order. <laughs> you can reorder them. <laughs> were you still the uh, education reporter at this time? Yes. I thought you were. And I think I was moving in. I don't know if I was moving into the county reporter role or not, but I was definitely the lead on the coverage for this. Okay. So what what do you remember about it? And especially covering it, because I thought this was a really big story. It was, and, and the reason it is, it, it's at five. Uh, we view that as a big story for us, Colin. <laughs> um, is because it was such a, a large thing that was being talked about nationwide. It was only a couple months after Parkland. Yeah. Um, and students all across the country were taking part. We had more than 2,200 kids walk out. Um, I was at Frederick High that day. The the biggest thing I remember about the day in general is the number of different things that the schools were allowing these kids to do. I, I thought it was wise by FCPS to not punish kids or to not try to prevent them from walking out, but mm-hmm. they did offer alternatives. Mm-hmm. 
And so instead of walking out of school and just shouting um, or, or trying to get 15 minutes out of class, for instance, Brunswick High School allowed their students to write letters to their legislators. Mm-hmm. Um, Frederick High School allowed them to sit in the cafeteria uh, and watch videos of um, students reading poetry about how the gun violence has made them feel, uh, fill out little post-it notes about you know, their concerns with gun violence. Um, so there were a lot of different alternatives. I also remember how dreadfully cold it was that day <laughs> because I was outside with a lot of the students at Frederick, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of kids speaking very eloquently about their fears and about what they perceive as inaction of the government mm-hmm. um, to prevent any of this kind of stuff from happening. So it was it was a really powerful day, um, and, uh, yeah, that's why it was such a big story for us. Yeah. I, and we had middle school kids walking out, too. I didn't mention that. There were kids at the middle school level. This wasn't just high schools. Nobody got in trouble, correct? No. Okay. So, so that – and this – one thing that I uh, still think about when I think about this whole issue is this happened all the way back in March, and I remember the walkout was supposed to sort of, you know, kind of be the jumping off point for some change. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I take by your chuckle that uh, you haven't seen much change since then. Th- was this something that came and went, and we don't think that anything is going to happen like this again? You know, will students organize this year? perhaps this coming year to to go out and, and protest and raise awareness because I, I would hope that there would be some plan to continue this you know this this sort of demonstration you you would hope um, those Parkland kids are are very uh, very passionate so I, I always think that we we go into this cycle of this you know an incident happens. Everybody yells about it and gets up in arms. They protest, and legislators just kind of wait it out. They don't pass any new law, mm-hmm. and then a new incident happens. Yeah. Um, and, you shouldn't have to have shootings in order for people to want to change this. Right, um, and, and you know, part of it is—I will admit—part of it is it's a, it's a diff- it's a difficult problem to solve. Um, there, there are some obvi- obvious. You know, points on both sides, I think, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, yeah, it, it would just seem like at some point, let's just do something. Let's try something. Uh, and we never really do. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure I've seen a group as passionate as some of these these Parkland kids. They still talk about it. Um, they have massive followings now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know... I, I haven't heard of anything happening in this March or anything like that, but but maybe something does, and and uh, you know maybe they continue to do it going forward. But I I mean, I'm not holding my breath for changes. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it really surprised me that this kind of came and went in March. Yeah, I sh- I should add um, during the last session that the Maryland State Legislature, which you know, I, I think has been proactive. Most of my comments go to the federal government's kind of at the federal government level. But but um, the the Maryland legislature did pass the uh, School Safety Act of 2018, uh, which provides a lot of funding for schools to put in uh, safety measures um, kind of of their own choosing, largely through law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maryland is ahead of the curve, but, you know, still behind the times, I think. Moving on to number four, 
Uh, this is the only sports story here mm-hmm. on this list. Uh, Oakdale wins the state title. Colin McGuire cements his legacy. Wow. You were the quarterback there? My uh, notes. Uh, clearly nice. the well-named Colin Schley. Yeah. Schley. I think it's Schley. I've never okay. actually met him. Yeah, so this is the, this was a a pretty pretty big deal, right? First uh, state football trophy for Oakdale. Yeah, it's their first one, first state football title, um, and capped a really tremendous career for Colin. Uh, Thank who you. Is headed to uh, Kent State where he'll play football, um, and it was it was a really really dominating performance um, against a team in Glen Elg that had uh, some strong offensive weapons. Their running back, I think, is going to Yale, um, wow. and he's a a bruising runner and they really, really shut down, uh, that offense. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a big deal for Oakdale. Uh, they've kind of spent the last couple of years on the cusp coming mm-hmm. up short to, to Walkersville. They're in the same, the same level, uh, two a, but, um, yeah, so, so good for Oakdale. Yeah. Well, congratulations to all of those kids and good luck at Kent state. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Kent state? No, I, I have. So. I've been, I spent time on that campus. How was it? That's, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's a uh, it's a depressing place. We'll, we'll Most just, of Ohio uh, is. <laughs> well, we're gonna go to number three now. Top three. I'm gonna say one word, and then I'm just gonna sit back and listen to you talk because <laughs> uh, there's a lot to say here. Burmaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go. <laughs> You're right. There is a lot to unpack. Um, so it's been uh, largely a year-long ongoing battle between the faculty and Elizabeth Burmaster, who is the president at uh, Frederick Community College. Um, sometime early 2018, I can't remember the exact month that these reports started coming out, but I was the education reporter at the time and began hearing um, from faculty members uh, of incidents of alleged abuse by the president, uh, whether that be verbal, verbal or physical, um, several different instances of uh, being publicly called out and berated, uh, and, and just in general bullyish behavior. Um, president Burmaster has fought these pretty much every step of the way. Uh, when Emma Kerr came on, she took over that coverage as our education reporter, and she has gone in depth. Um, uh, to investigate a lot of these things going on. She she went back uh, several years and found uh, more incidents of alleged abuse in Burmaster's career when she was at um, Nicolay College in uh, Wisconsin. Um, so, yeah, there's currently uh, independent investigation ongoing. Uh, I don't know if or when we will get the results of that investigation or, or what changes would be made. Um, but we understand it's an investigation into her behavior as well as the, the climate of the school. Um, and it's, this is one that I I think is going to be a long ongoing story will probably be another top 10 story for 2019. Well, if they make a move, if the, that would absolutely, yeah, if the results of the investigation come out, but the way you just described it, perhaps you're not optimistic that we'll get much from the investigation. I, I just don't know at what point things would be made public. Um, or Through how reporting, of, that's how. Y- yes, Colin, thanks. We need, <laughs> you, need people to, you need people to tell you things. You need people to tell you. Yeah, that's true. So Emma came on, and, uh, and she's 
typically my co-host here on Frederick Uncut. She came on and, and, and worked on this story. But this was one that I know you uh, were interested in even after you left the beat and sort of still are as, as you talked about it. Uh, to you, what is sort of the most damning piece of information against Burmaster? It's hard to say. I've had a lot of conversations that I can't make public. Um, And and the most damning piece, I don't know if it will ever come out. Uh, uh, That's a good answer. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would would go back to to Emma's reporting on her time at Nicolay College uh, and the alleged incident uh, which burmaster denies mm-hmm. of her throwing a clock at an employee that's right yeah uh, that would that that seemed particularly damning um but again she she denies it and so it may not have ever happened um but there have been a, a lot of letters sent that we've we've uh reviewed um but at this point it kind of feels like a he said she said mm. now okay well we're definitely going to keep an eye on that as the year unfolds, number two, the second biggest, most popular, important story of the year, as determined by three people in a room named Alan, Chris, and Pete. <laughs> so I take it you think this one should be lower? <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because in number two is election night 2018. For those who didn't see it, go back, because no, everything lives online forever. Alan and I hosted election night coverage here at the Frederick News Post. It was a lot of fun. We were very exhausted. We were here until 3 in the morning. It was one of the longest days, probably the longest day of 2018, I, I, I would think. Yeah. But I, we didn't see, we were expecting a huge blue wave, to use a term that you used many times that night. And I didn't think we got a particularly huge blue wave. We got a blue wave, but not a huge, not a tidal wave. Yeah, um, you know, we had one one seat flip uh, that was Delegate Ken Kerr. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least at the state delegation, we had one seat flip. That brings the makeup of our state delegation to four Democrats and four Republicans. Um, and then the county council regained or gained Democratic control uh, by a 4-3 majority. Uh, so they gained a seat. Um, it was, I guess it was even uh, mm-hmm. in the previous council because president Bud Otis uh, changed his party to independent. But um, so, yeah, I, I think when you look at the countywide, if you step back and look at the countywide positions, uh, governor Hogan was immensely popular among Democrats. So he won a lot of democratic votes. Mm-hmm. He talked about writing a purple surfboard. I think that was a good way to put it. Uh, <laughs> that is, that's clever. Yeah. Sheriff Jenkins won in a much closer election than he has had in the past. Mm-hmm. And that was, so he was one of the Republicans who was able to withstand it. But every other countywide, uh, well, no, Phil Dacey won too. So yeah, I mean, maybe the blue wave wasn't as big here as people think, but Frederick has always been kind of a, um, well, not always, but in recent years, been a 50-50 kind of breakdown uh, mm-hmm. between Democrats and Republicans. So it's been a good mix. Um, I, I think it'll stay that way for maybe one or two more elections. But the changing demographics of this county have, have really lent themselves towards an advantage towards Democrats. Well, that that could change, though, with gerrymandering and what, whatever is ruled. Um, only in the 6th District race. Yeah. 
which, yeah, so, I, I mean, that could end up being Republican, but that's only for one race. For the county seats, there won't be any lines redrawn. Yeah. Yeah, do we see this as, as a, a predictor in any way for 2020? The national, you know. Election? No, because presidential elections are always are always different. The turnout's always higher. Um, this fell in line with previous midterms in that uh, the party opposing the president made up a lot of ground mm-hmm. in Congress. Uh, that was it was a little bit more than average um, this year, and that's attributed to a blue wave across the country. But um, it's hard to predict twenty twenty. Uh, especially because of who the president is right now. Um, yeah, so I, I don't I don't know what we can make of it for the okay. next election. But in 2022, I, I think we'll see a similar trend of um, kind of moving towards a, a bluer Frederick County. Even if in 2020 President Trump gains re-election? Well, I don't know what him gaining re-election would do for Frederick County. Well, that that would suggest. Well, I mean, on on a micro level, that would suggest that Republican, the Republican Party, is not necessarily as, you know, unliked or not supported as some people may think. I would have thought if well, there would I have think, been. I think that's fair now. I think if there was going to be a blue wave, it would have happened like a, a tremendous, a tidal wave. It would have happened in twenty eighteen. I think if you ask Republicans, especially locally, they seem to feel like it was. But I don't think the the results really bear that out. But why um, did they think it was then? Because most of them lost. Well, <laughs> not most. Some, some of them. I would say more than fifty percent of them lost. Oh, okay, but that's not most. You could have fifty-one. That is that's most. Not most. No, <laughs> yes, it's it not. That's it's just more, than, more half. than half. But that's not most. That's some. Our definition of most oh, is very that's different. Just like our definition of this list, which brings us to number one. We can all agree Let on this. Let me guess. This one should have been lower. I, Alan came in. I just want everybody to know to this office in a bad mood this morning anyway. It is only developed further throughout the taping of this podcast. So we apologize in advance for Alan's behavior. That's A. Etzler at newspost.com. $6 million <laughs> in infrastructure damage here in Frederick. Flooding. Rain. Rain. Go away. To use... What's certainly not a cliche. <laughs> uh, the biggest story of the year, according to the Frederick News Post, is the floods. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So that was a, a, a crazy night. Um, me and you were on a podcast about it a couple a couple of weeks later. There was yeah. um, a ton of rain fell in a very short amount of time and totally um, overwhelmed uh, county and city infrastructure. And uh, the flooding caused, and this was in, in mid-May, um, $6 million in uh, public infrastructure damage, road damage, things like that. But another $16 million to people's homes and their businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and more than 40 roads were closed uh, as a result of those floods. And it's kind of, you know, those effects have carried over, uh, especially at the city, um, the ground has never really recovered because it's never really stopped raining. I know. And, I know. And the city's wastewater treatment plant, I want to say, has overflowed or has flooded two or three times since then um, because of heavy rainfall. There have been areas in the city 
that have that have flooded due to heavy rainfall just because the ground is so saturated at this point mm-hmm. and so it's just kind of been this uphill battle that we've never really been able to recover from um, and this is carried over into several different different facets we, we published a story last week um, about Woodsboro the town of Woodsboro wants to redo their roads mm-hmm. uh, and this is kind of a, a work of, of small towns in some ways but they have to piggyback county contracts they they don't get to just make you know put out an rfp they're so small and their budget's so small they don't get to put out an rfp and bring in some contractor to do the roads they just wait until the county is doing a project nearby and they're like hey stop on by and we'll pay you to do this road mm-hmm. well the county hasn't been able to repair all of these roads because it's never stopped raining <laughs> and so now that's carried over into woodsboro whose big plan for 2018 was to to do a roads project and they haven't been able to do any of that and so it's, it's going to carry over into these different uh different municipalities uh when you have a giant giant rainstorm like this and and then it just kind of continues the rain continues to fall it's raining right now mm-hmm. um it just doesn't seem to stop and and so uh that's for us why it was it was the biggest story of the year the rain's better than snow would, would we agree on that i don't know i have a dog who loves the snow okay and hates the rain and when he's not happy then things are not happy happy dog happy allen yeah so to recap we'll go back from 10 uh number 10 was the heroin numbers the overdoses uh opiates would it be fair to say opiates not just okay uh number nine monoxy river plan number eight gerrymandering in the sixth district of course number seven the riot at victor victor cullen juvenile detention facility Number six were, was the flu and people being sick and, of course, the passing of Colleen Morin. Uh, number five, student walkouts around FCPS. Number four, Oakdale won the football state title. Number three, Burmaster, uh, which, again, I, that's just one word. We all we just need to say that <laughs> and everybody knows. Number two, election night 2018, the blue wave. Uh, and then, of course, number one. The rain and the flooding, and this has to be a record year, I would think, for I would think so for for rain in and around this area. And according to Colin, all ten of those should have been higher. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Looking forward to 2019. What are some stories on the horizon that you're excited to to see? Oh well, I'm personally excited. Uh, Samantha Hogan is is moving into our state government reporting position. I'm personally excited to to see her go down to Annapolis and see those stories. Uh, unfold. Um, we're obviously going to continue following. Most of these are ongoing stories. Um, they're, they're stories that don't ne- they don't necessarily have a short lifespan. I would say Oakdale football is obviously over with. The student walkouts may or may not be over with. The election is over with, obviously. Um, but the rest of these things are, are going to carry over into 2019, and that's part of why they're, they're on the list is because they impacted a lot of people in 2018, and that impact is going to continue into the next year. So uh, the biggest stories for me um, that I will probably be following are on this list. And I would say, given my background as the education reporter, I'm really interested in following the Burmaster one. Okay, fair enough. Well, if you didn't like what we had to say, we're sorry. Email. G. Cullen. G. Cullen. G-C-U-L-L-E-N. <laughs> At newspost.com if you have a problem with this list because Alan absolves himself from all blame. Yes. He is at A. Etzler, right? A. Etzler on Twitter? 
Uh, no, not on Twitter. On My Twitter. email is A Etzler. Okay. Well, what's your Twitter? A underscore? Alan W. Etzler. Alan W. Etzler. He's at Alan W. Etzler. I'm at Hey Hey It's Conrad. <laughs> and we are out of time. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll be back in 2019.